Ladies and gentlemen, this is your places call. All right, everybody, back to one. Standby lights one and sound one. Camera speeding. Audio speeding. Lights and sound. Go. And action. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Pretend World's Real People. This is the podcast where we interview arts workers from theater and film industries and sometimes even outside of that to kind of learn more about what an arts worker is and why they are just as important as a CEO or a janitor or anybody else who has uh, real work. And uh, as you can tell, I'm flying solo today. Tyler got a commercial gig, which is very exciting. So he's on his second day of shooting. So it's just going to be me today. Hope you can stand it. But I have someone who's really awesome. I got to work with her last year. Oh, so long ago. (laughs) She is the executive producer of a local Denver, Colorado company called the Aurora Fox Art Center. And she was my director on the show I was working on when the pandemic hit and we got shut down literally right before our opening night. So uh, without further ado, let me introduce you to Helen Murray. Hi, Helen. Hi. Yeah, it was three hours. Three three hours. (laughs) Man, we had our our little preview and then... more it was so sad and it was it was this it was a big star moment for your puppy too I I know Watson was gonna be in the show Watson didn't get to be you know the diva on stage I know I know he misses it too as he's dead asleep on my bed right now (laughs) (laughs) oh um but yeah actually you know it's something I've been wondering do you think that that's gonna that show is gonna make a comeback when things kind of get to come back or not, not necessarily. I mean, it's a show I absolutely want to get to the stage. It's a show that I just don't think we can do for a little while. You know, the, you know what the first scene is. Yes. And so for those listening, that is a scene where uh, an elderly man is dying from not being able to breathe and they're talking about his and you hear him have this really uh, labored breathing. And it's just, I think, uh, you know, it's one of the things I'm sort of dealing with and thinking about right now a lot is, is how will audiences come back? And, and there's been sort of this collective trauma that we've all experienced around this. And so right now we tend to uh, immediately brace ourselves if we hear someone cough or sneeze. Yes. And so the idea of seeing an elderly person on stage die from while gasping for breath, I just don't think we can handle that. I right think now. that is a very smart choice. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, and, and what's so sad about it is that that show is so hopeful. That show has so much joy and, and uh, freedom in it. And so that's just the beginning of it. And so, uh, you know, one day, because I do love that piece. I love, it's called For Peter Pan on Her 70th Birthday. And I, I loved it. And I loved what we made. I think we had such a beautiful show. Yeah. I, I was really sad not to share it. That Yeah, me too. It was going to be, it was really going to touch some heartstrings for sure. Um, but you're, I think you're right. I think it, it, there's a time for it to, to happen again. And in that, in that little space you guys have, it's just so perfect for it that it'll, it'll happen. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm always looking for the right pieces to go in our smaller space. So, uh, and it was, it's such an intimate little piece that uh, I, yeah, one, one day, cause I do love that show so much. So one day uh, I hope to bring it back. Yeah. Um, so Helen, actually, why don't we talk a little bit about um, who you are and what you do? You know, what does an executive producer do? Um, I'm very excited to have you because um, in my brain, you are running the Cedar Company and I always love seeing a woman in that position. Um, <laughs> but also it's just such a cool company that um, I would love for you to talk about it. Sure, sure. Um, so executive producer, I think that the title gets bumped to executive producer the second you're uh, doing more than just self-producing a slate of shows. And there are things like rentals and we do a series of cabarets, uh, New Year's Eve shows. Uh, you know, and we bring in partnership organizations as well. Like we've worked with uh, cool, like, uh, cool places like um, 
control group productions. They're a performance art troupe. Uh, you know, we brought them in and partnered with them. We've partnered with uh, Zicker Dance before. So I think you get the bigger title when it's not just your straight main stage season of shows that you're doing. Because I was artistic director at the Hub Theater before this, and I don't feel like my job is um, artistically very different. I just feel like there's more moving parts now. Um, so, so yeah, that's what we do. And then we do a, a main stage or sometimes studio <laughs> uh, stage season of five to six shows a year, um, depends on the year. Uh, right now we're sticking to five, mm -hmm. uh, this past year we did and, and this coming year we did. And obviously that's very driven by current budgetary issues sure. that have hit the entire arts world. Um, but but yeah, it's great. Uh, I love it. And we and and it gets to be this thing where you know we're we're not just a space that hosts one theater company. We we see dance troops and symphonies and chorales and speakers. Sometimes it gets rented out for town halls. Uh, you know, so you get to see a lot of different activity come through there, and it's it's super fun. Um, and I have a great uh, staff, core staff, and we we keep the trains moving as best we can. And um, yeah. That's that's what I do. It sounds really like all of a sudden, like I just described a factory. <laughs> but <laughs> but, but then, I think know. that's accurate because I feel like that's what people don't understand is that this theater is a business as much as it is an arts experience and and people don't really kind of understand that concept. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I do, you know, I've always seen my job as soon as I went into leadership, because I started off as an actor mm -hmm. um, um, and then moved into playwright directing world and then became a leader in the arts. Um, so when, when I took on the, the leadership mantle, I realized very, very quickly that that, you know, my my job is should be an act of service. Mm -hmm. That's really what it should be about, um, not. I think there's this idea that as soon as you're in leadership, you're like, now I can pick all the plays I want and I can <laughs> do whatever I want. But that's really, you know, if we're going to like enrich a cultural landscape and have people really go on great journeys together and, and really be affected by art, our job is not to just be like, I really want to direct the show, but it's got to be a lot more uh, focused on, on a bigger idea. And, and for me, that's, you know, I've seen that as you need to be in service to your community. You need to be aware of what your community is going through. And then you need to both welcome and challenge them at the same time. Mm. So that's sort of where I've always come from with it. Um, and then, you know, as when it comes to executive producing, yes, there's a lot of sitting around with budgets and schedules and contracts. And right now there's a whole lot of um, state guidelines, tri-county guidelines. Sure. Uh, I never thought I would be such an expert in health protocols. I never <laughs> thought. If somebody had said, oh, you're going into theater for your life, now you're going to know exactly what the data rates are every single day for COVID. <laughs> yeah. Well, and isn't the Fox um, a government funded or, I don't want to say controlled, but you guys have a, a unique relationship with the town of Aurora, right? Or the city of Aurora. We, we are umbrella by the city of Aurora. We're considered a city program. Uh, and, and yes, they are a major funder, if you want to look at it that way. But yeah, they, they make us go. So we report upwards into the city. So uh, that's that was new for me coming out here. Normally, I just reported directly to a board of directors uh, in my last job. And then, um, but this one, there is an advisory board, but they are advisory. Um, and they're supposed to help liaise as well with city council and us, because we don't, as city staff, go directly to city council on things. So um so yeah, I, I report upwards into the Department of Library and Cultural Services, <laughs> which reports upwards to the city manager. Interesting. Uh, yeah, so there's a th that's definitely been interesting. And there, there were parts of that that were really difficult for me to wrap my brain around when I first started because I'd never worked that way. Um, but as I moved forward in the city, I also will say that it's so fascinating to get to be engaged at that level of community building. 
Um, because that's, I mean, that's what a city governance is trying to do. They're trying to community build all the time. And so I get to be in on conversations about homeless outreach, about um, wayfinding, about, you know, security in the area, things like that, that, that I've been there for the beginning of those conversations and, um, and, and to sit there and listen and go, how does the arts play into this? How can we help bring people together in this area or help with issues that are we're being faced as a city? That's been a, a, a really new uh, frontier for me and one that I think is, I, I think that uh, artists may not always think about, but, but maybe we should. I, I, think, I think arts is social justice and social ameliorating is a great place to be. Uh, Absolutely. So, yeah. And do you find that the Fox's audience is more diverse than maybe other places you've worked or um, other just theater companies that someone might think of off the top of their head because of that community outreach? Um, I don't think we should compare it against where I worked before because I because I was in the D.C. area and, you know, uh, D.C. is predominantly of color. Um, and, and we never had a problem having diverse audiences. Yeah, that's fair. Out there. Uh, but here, yes, I will say, I, I do like seeing the diversity, um, that's, that has been continuing to grow, uh, since I've been here, but I think the Fox already had a, a pretty good record of programming diverse work prior to my arrival. So I really was getting to build on something, uh, um, that, that, that had, been been established. Um, so so yeah, I do. I I don't know. I definitely Colorado's a lot whiter. Than yeah, <laughs> um, it just is. Uh, yeah, that was a little bit of a culture shock for me too. Having I, I've never actually been, and I grew up all over the world. I've never been in a place that was so um, so white. So <laughs> I white. Yeah. How, I don't know how else to say it, but I honestly, never- I felt the same way when I moved out here. I mean, we're both two white ladies, so it, it's kind of silly to uh, point out, but living in cities like New York and Boston and even just on the East Coast and in D.C., I live there, too. And just having that diversity that is not as present out here um, is very much a culture shock because you kind of you don't realize how used to it you are until you're not in the middle of it. And then you're like, yeah. oh, wait, there's a lot of people who look just like me around and like it doesn't you know white privilege makes me not uncomfortable about it but it's very bizarre (laughs) there's an awareness that that both you and I and everybody needs to bring to that because I you know we are I was recently having a conversation or not so recently uh through this this show that we've been producing uh throughout the year called the voices project which is a conversation about how we make theater and, and having more transparent conversations because I feel like a lot of times questions about equitability, diversity, ha- people don't know how we work. Yeah. Because we, we intentionally a lot of times keep things mum. We won't announce seasons until we're ready. We don't talk about, uh, we don't like to talk about money until we're asking for money. You know, we don't like to have these, you know. And so I think that there's sometimes a divide between uh, art, artists and the houses in which art is being made. And so we've been having these conversations and one of the people on the show was talking about getting to play a, a princess that has been predominantly played by white people throughout history and how this was a really big deal. And, and, and I, all I could think was, I just came from DC where for the past you know, decade, 15 years, I've been watching people of color play princesses at area, you know, children's theaters and things like that. And, but so, so I think it made me realize that, and, and duh, right. That the, the country is different and it's, we're so massive. Each state is like their own little country. Yeah. And so things are going to move at different paces and different places. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So, so that's been really interesting and, and to, to watch uh, and, and just to become more comfortable in the, the theater culture here, which is very supportive of each other and very vibrant. Um, it's just, it, it's definitely been different. Um, but I, I love it. I do love it out here. Yeah. So, you know, yes. And I, and I love a lot, you know, there's so much great stuff. I've seen so much great stuff since I've been out here and people are doing such great stuff 
as well. Um, and, and I'm certainly not the, um, I'm not the end all be all of the challenging work. I mean, we've got a lot of theaters who are, absolutely who are front, you know, doing incredible work. Yeah. So. Um, I am curious about season creation um, and how, how you guys go about that. You know, I'm assuming you work with the board and with, you know, your other staff members and stuff. What are the, some of the factors that go into planning a season, you know, because I always approach a show from just a singular show standpoint, and that's, you know, my job, um, but to kind of create mult, like a whole overarching either, I don't know, is it a theme-based thing or are you trying to hit different demographics? I think uh, my shows tend to come together thematically through whatever is sort of the obsession of the moment for me. <laughs> sure. Uh, and I say that, but they're, they're, they tend to not be uh, Helen obsessions, rather what I'm seeing in the world. So like right now, I, I've been really thinking about ways in which we connect and ways in which we treat our world. Um, the, that's been really big. And so it's definitely influencing the season that's a, about to come out but in truth that's been even before the pandemic because a lot of the titles in next season are ones we already we'd already slated because we had already this the season that's about to come out is honestly the season that we were going to do almost there's like one new show but on top of that what's fascinating is I didn't have to roll back any of those titles because they were all still so appropriate to where we are Um, and that made me really excited about what we already worked on because I was like, wow, if we could go through this whole pandemic and I still think this whole slate of shows will really speak to us right now, that's a big deal. Yeah. Um, so the, what, the, uh, the, the way I go through seasons is I keep a running list of shows I'm just interested in. Um, and then when I get to season planning time, I usually make a list of about 50 of those shows. And then I, pull out the budget (laughs) (laughs) oh and I go this is the this is the pie how do you want to slice it up and so then I will look at cast sizes uh for sure and production needs because if all of a sudden I need to you know this show needs a laser beam that shoots to space then I can't you know (laughs) right right (laughs) then then I'm like huh okay maybe next season (laughs) Um, so, you know, I'll do, I'll, I'll do some sizing kind of filtering. Um, I usually will try to put only one huge cast show in a season, um, because it, you're shortchanging all the other shows if you're spending all your money on one. Um, and then, you know, and so then I, I do this balance. I also, um, if I, f- I tend to choose the shows without thinking about who wrote them at first. Uh, and then if I see that I've leaned in one direction too much, I will shuffle again. Um, I do like to make sure we're telling a really diverse perspective. So, um, so yeah, uh, uh, that's, that, can, that mix will change every year. I just don't want to ever have a year where it's all white women or all white men or all black men or all black women. You know, I just need to diversify that story throughout the season and to make sure that our community is getting to hear a diversity of story as well so that they can more and more realize that just because this story is about a black experience doesn't mean it's not about a human experience. Right. Uh, so I, I can get as much out of that show as anybody else. Uh, we just closed Queen's Girl in the World. And it's, I have to say that final audience was predominantly white. Wow. And this is, you know, a show very much about code switching and growing up during civil rights and watching violence against black men and things. Like, I mean, and we had this audience that, you know, on closing day where I was like, wow, it was definitely older white people as well. And they, they, this story was for them, you know, how great that they, that they came out for this. Um, so, so yeah, that's where that will go. And then, and then, yeah. And then uh, the, the list is always also circulated through my staff as well. Um, the board is not necessarily, and my boards in the past have been only, they only care really about budget. Sure. <laughs> 
where's the budget on this? But right now I have an advisory board. So we, they don't look at budgets. The, the city finance office is where my budget goes to. Interesting. So, so they don't, uh, usually I'll float things by the board. Uh, this year was very different because these were titles from last year, except for one edition. So for that one slot, I floated several of the titles. And, you know, if I will absolutely, if there's a strong reaction to something of we should never do this or we should absolutely, you know, then I will definitely take that into account from the board of directors. Um, but, it, you know, in, in truth, when I was hired on, I was hired on because of the vision I had for this. Um, and so I try to stay true to that. And um, part of that is also part of that vision is that I listen with great regularity to what is happening in our community. Um, because I found, I found that people, audiences, they think they know what they want, but I don't, this, and, and they may be not like this assessment of them, but I don't know that they know what they want. I think they know what they like. And, and I, I, I say that because I've talked to so many different artistic directors and producers, and they say, you know, when we survey an audience and do the show they ask for, we don't sell that many tickets. But when we look at what they were asking for and say, what was the ethos of that? What, was, what, were, they, what were they wanting? And we do a show that answers that, they come out of the woodwork. For That's it. amazing. And so, uh, so, you know, I try to... I try to go with my gut most of the time. And I got to say, it's it's usually right. And I always get mad at myself when I don't follow it because there's been so many <laughs> times where I, where I was like, I was swayed by this or that, or <clears throat> which I think you should be, you should be, excuse me. <clears throat> um, so yeah, there's been times I've been swayed away from my from what my gut said. And sometimes it works out, but <laughs> so many times I've been like, this is why you listen to your gut, Helen. This is why you go with your instinct because uh, um, you need to trust yourself. Absolutely. So yeah, and then once I get I get honed down, I I play this little you know game of I write all the titles that are sort of in the final round on on <clears throat> on little cards, and then I uh, <laughs> you know I like keep lining up the season. It's like a little game, and then I'll. I'll talk with my production manager and uh, my tech director about production needs uh, because they have to make it happen, right? Yeah. And so, um, and sometimes it's down to, because I'm still fairly new here, sometimes that's, do we have this actor in town that we would need for this? Is Does this exist here? Or will we have to go out of town because that's a different budgeting model? Uh, uh, because we definitely run into that, we're like, we're, Queen's Girl in the World, Janae is in LA. So, um, and and not that it didn't exist here. This year was just also doubly hard because we weren't working with equity throughout the year. So, so yeah, those, so we'll go through there. And then my, um, my audience services uh, manager, he definitely has his thoughts about what will sell and what won't sell and what, and, you know, and so he'll weigh in and then our marketing person will mm -hmm. weigh in, but usually marketing just weighs in on how do you, sometimes, you know, I pick shows where they're like, and how do you think I'm going to market this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do my level best to find a balance between entertainment and, and sort of pushing the conversation. So that we, we hit both. I try to make sure we also always have a family friendly show in the lineup. So, you know, because I, like I said, it's an act of service. We want to make sure that we're in service to everybody in our community. And I'm never going to be perfect in getting to everybody every season, but I can make my level best effort. Definitely. How was it navigating a pandemic season and kind of like, you know, when we got shut down, we were like, okay, we'll be back in two weeks. And then obviously that didn't happen. And then we weren't, you know, Broadway's been shut down for forever. And, and that very often kind of dictates how even the smaller companies are doing. And so I know I was really happy to see that you guys were able to do some programming this year, but I'm so curious about, about how that went. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't want to do this again. So that's <laughs> but, fair. You know, um, 
but but we don't know what the future will bring and so now we've done it so i guess i guess i've been like uh like all of the artistic directors and producers that are still going i think we've been um adequately seasoned into what it would be um how was it it was highly stressful um there, there's also the, a mom quality about the artists that we work with being brought in and, and I worry about them. Uh, I would dream about, oh. like, would, are, are they going to be okay? Like I, I had worries. Um, but, but, you know, we, we, the, the insane part of it is, well, no, everything's insane. <laughs> but one, one of the interesting things is <clears throat> that, um, that throughout the year, we, we just followed guidelines <clears throat> and they were ever changing. But when people are like, how did you do it? I'm like, well, Colorado, Tri-County, they put out guidelines and then we would follow those guidelines. Yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And, and I do get that not everyone has the, sh- like the shape of our theater actually made it possible for us to reopen. And that is not the same for everybody. Uh, because there were things like the mandated 25 feet between performer and audience. There were mandates of the way uh, six feet between parties, um, uh, seated parties. Um, uh, there, there were things like, uh, you know, we, we, way, we reprogrammed the whole season to have very low casts uh, so that we could put one person in each dressing room. Um, things will be shifting again because we are about to work with our first fully vaccinated cast. Yay! And I know it's like this amazing feeling to, to just such a relief. Definitely. Um, so, so yeah, so let's put it this way because of the shape of our theater and what we had as amenities and, and we were able to reopen under guidelines. And the other reason we were able to reopen is because we are umbrellaed by the city, because our funding, we are, we are a program of the city. The city was reopening, their services were reopening and the, the budget was already set for the season. You know, um, and granted we have to do, we, we keep having to do very interesting little uh, shifts because we are revenue based as well. And we're obviously not making the revenue that we normally would make. We're, we're seating at not even, uh, I guess, a third, no, less than a third of the house. Okay. Right uh, yeah, uh, that's tough. Yeah. We could seat up to 92, but we never get there because the seating is like in pods. And once a pod gets eaten up, even if it's a four pod, if one person buys a ticket there, the whole pod is knocked out. Ugh. And so, yeah, so we're, so we're not even getting up to 92 ever. We're hitting more around like 50. Got it. Oh, yeah, that's tough. <laughs> so, so yeah, but it's, uh, you know, it's this, it's an amazing thing to be back in a theater. It was amazing when we, um, we actually opened back up in September. Wow. We had a show in September. Uh, it was, it went fairly smoothly. Um, it was just all new. That was the first one for us. Um, and uh, yeah, and then we had to reclose again because the numbers went up and, you know, everybody was again in December. So we went virtual for our holiday show and then we came back again. So we, we didn't miss a show this season, but one did have to convert to virtual. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, how... Did that answer that stuff? Yeah, it did. No, it really did. Because I think a lot of people, you know, uh, those of us who work in the business, especially those of us who are equity and and haven't been able to work, or there's very few of us that have been able to work across the country, you know, we've all been going, how are these companies able to do this? And, you know, why can't we be there if that's happening? You know, believe (laughs) me, you were like, why can't you be there? But, um, We asked all year long for you yeah. guys, every yeah. single show. We were like, can we please have equity? Can we please have equity? <laughs> we filled out 30, what, eight page, whatever things oh, over and over. I mean, and, and you know, they're going to do their own thing. Yeah. And we do hope to be working with equity again as we move forward. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully that things are, things are hopefully looking better for equity yes, members yes. and hopefully we'll be having you back in our theater soon. We certainly would love to have you back. Oh, so. thanks, Helen. I certainly <laughs> would love to come back. I love working at the Fox. Um, and I'm uh, sad that I didn't actually get to 
run a show there just for I know I know we had you slated a bunch this coming season oh, it's okay it'll happen um yeah. kind of jumping back in your life a bit how did you even get into all of this what what led you to theater uh well my mom would say I just was a, a loud mouth <laughs> Um, you know, as long as I can remember, I just, I've been doing this since I was a kid and I didn't necessarily grow up in areas that had a lot of theater. Um, but I I don't know what even made me start to do it, but I would be like, I'm writing a script and my sisters, you're in this play you're going to do it and we're going to perform it. And, um, (laughs) um, because I, I grew up, uh, my, my, I was actually born in California, but my, my bulk of my childhood was in, on the big island of Hawaii. Um, and I grew up fairly rural, like country living there, you know. <laughs> um, and so, uh, you know, so I was definitely a, a kid who just, you know, a barefoot tree climbing <laughs> kid, uh, but who loved to play pretend. I just loved to play pretend. And so, uh, so yeah, and then as you know, I'm sure my mother was looking for an outlet for me. I had done dance and gymnastics. Well, gymnastics first, then I think I'd gone into some dance classes, but uh, she was probably like, she needs something because she won't stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I think as a kid at some point she must've found, I think I did drama club in school. And then she was like, okay, I guess I better put her in something for the summer. and. I played Lucy in your good man, Charlie (laughs) for, for, you know, a school like summer thing. And, um, but I actually remember my very first part on stage was in the third grade. This was in Hawaii. Um, I played the villain in a Valentine's show. Were you like angry Cupid and didn't want anyone to follow I stole, I, uh, they Everybody put their Valentines in the Valentine's box to be delivered and I stole them so <gasps> nobody could get the Valentine. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember when I, I, a crystal clear moment of, I love this so much, was when I stole the Valentines on stage, the whole school gasped. They were like, <gasps> she did it. <laughs> And I, and like, I was like, wow, like what you can do with that. Like, <laughs> I, I remember that moment so distinctly. And so when I, when uh, people would ask me like, when did you get bitten by bug? I'm like, I, I had to think, and I was like, you know what? The moment I remembered the power of being on stage, that, that would have been it. Like, um, so yeah. And then, and then after that, you know, I, it was just, I took theater and I did that all the way through high school and I definitely did summer stuff and all of it. And I, you know, always wanted to be an actor. That's always what I decided I was going to do. Um, there was a brief moment in, uh, in college cause I, I double majored with communications. Uh, I thought I would go into political speech writing instead. Uh, oh yeah. I'm an Aaron Sorkin fan. As well. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> But, you know, but I was always very engaged politically as well growing up. And I really cared about the causes that I care about. And, um, you know, so I thought I would do that for a while. But then, but then I thought if I'm going to play, I worked on a couple campaigns and I thought if I'm going to play pretend, I'd rather people know I'm playing pretend instead of inviting them in and not telling them, um, which is sadly what I feel like political life is. It's the performance where we pretend it's real. And so, <laughs> that's a really good way to put it. Yeah. Or, it or makes we, me feel we gross. Tell them <laughs> we tell them it's real. Right. I think that's the problem. Yeah. Whereas if I'm doing theater, I can talk about all the messages I care about and I don't try to dupe them. Right. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I did that in the out of college. I just went into acting and I was on stage and did commercial work, voiceover work, a lot of voice, uh, voiceover work as well. And I did that for, oh, 15 years or so. And then I, and then the part of me that, you know, made me a bossy pants kid, that, that's the same part of me that, and a kid that liked to work with other people. Like I just wanted people around making things. And so that collaborator part, that part of me that was like, 
I, I care about certain things and we're missing them. That part of me sort of took over and I would just see things while I was an actor and I'd want to fix them. Um, and I'd want to bring in other things that I thought people were missing. And, uh, and so I started writing and directing more and then very quickly, I, it was a, a bunch of stakeholders were like, that's what I call them now, but really they're just a bunch of people who were like, why aren't you running your own theater company? I was like, I don't want to be in charge. <laughs> but really, and, and I think that a lot, I think I don't want to be in charge, but I, I do want to have, I do want to have voice in what we are putting in front of people. I, that is what I really care about. Um, I care about the stories that we share. And I just, I think I also just felt, especially at that point as a woman, in theater that female playwrights especially were just being missed. Um, um, and they were like at that point, I think we'd hit 12% when I first started in theater, 12% of plays being produced were by women. Uh, and then let's uh, not even, I mean, that's beyond the dismal numbers for people of color. I mean, it just tanks when you try to talk about women of color, especially are just like so far down the, the wrong there. So I was just like, there's just too many great stories that we're not telling. And it's like, there's just a weird blinder on. And I remember my second year of uh, being artistic director at the hub, I was working with an agent who's wonderful. She's a wonderful literary agent. And I, I was telling her thematically some things I wanted to read. And so she was sending me some new plays and, um, and fairly new. Some had not even had their premieres yet. And I was reading them and I, after I did it, I was like, I, I loved a couple, but then I realized there were no women in this bunch. Mm. So I wrote back and I was like, is it just that no women wrote plays in this theme or, and she was like, oh my God, I didn't even notice I did that. And so she was like, threw me a whole list of sh shows by women. And I was like, so sometimes it just happens because we're not thinking. And I, and so if I can just be somebody who's thinking about it and being intentional about it, then hopefully I can, I can make sure that we're not telling the same old story because it's boring. Yeah. I mean, that's really what people should be just as offended by the boredom factor as they, as I'm like, yeah, we know we already heard this one. Yep. <laughs> I agree. What is, I like to, to ask this question of all our guests, what is a a fun, what you would call a party story that's happened to you because our, our jobs are real jobs, but we're also very unique and lots of silly and crazy and, and bizarre things happen to us. Can you think of something party story that you'd be like, this happened at my work and people who work in an office are like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've definitely had so many of those moments where I'm like, this is my job. Uh -huh. <laughs> I am. Um, I played on stage. I do you know the show Marisol? No, uh, I love it by Jose Rivera. Beautiful. I, I love Jose Rivera's writing in general. He's most famous for references to Salvador Dali, Make Me Hot. Um, but in Marisol, you know, I got cast as June in Marisol, and in this show, I get <laughs> I get to play um, this her, it's her roommate, who's her best friend, and then she gets hit in the head with a golf club. Oh, and no. it like messes up her brain and she thinks she's a, a neo-Nazi <laughs> and she sets this homeless trans woman on fire <gasps> in the show. and so I mean it's a very artistic piece and it's very beautiful and it's definitely about the Latinx experience and it goes through I mean Marisol is the main character in it but these horrible forces are sometimes against her so it's it is horrific but it's also one of these things where I'm like in my whole life, I would never experience something like this, but I've definitely experienced so many of those stage moments or directed so many of these stage moments. You're like, I just asked somebody to do that, you know? Um, <laughs> um, I, so like, you know, working with fight directors on how to set someone on fire on stage. I've gotten to, I've had to sign non-disclosure agreements and I will never tell the secrets of Teller because I worked with Teller from Penn and Teller. Uh, on a, a version of Macbeth where we had to learn magic tricks for it. And I, I know those things now that are so cool. And <clears throat> I've had to now twice 
work with a sound designer on a series of farts. <laughs> <laughs> and it's such a giggle fest because you're like, I don't think that fart is right. Play it, it, can it be wetter? <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, you're sitting there and, and there's a, like the seriousness of trying to find the right sound cue. And then you both just dissolve into giggles like you're five years old again. That's amazing. Because farts are funny. Yes. Just, so I've definitely, there's been many of those moments where I'm like, I get to do this because of my job. Because of my job when I was on stage, I've gotten to perform for congressmen and I've I've performed for Scalia and for Ginsburg. Uh, I've, I've performed for the Bush family, not the president, but the rest, uh, but uh, Laura Bush and the, her daughters came to a show that I was in and and probably more, but I would only ever notice because uh, when Secret Service is backstage, you're all of a sudden like, who's, and that's definitely because you're in DC. Um, it's not gonna happen. I mean, th that happens with regularity in DC where people like that are in the audience. But um, so, so, you know, things like that are just, I've gotten to go and touch the original folios by Shakespeare. Wow. Because I worked at Folger Theater and they and they have, you know, I've gotten to do these things where you're like, what on earth? How did this happen? Um so well, not with your bare hands, you don't get oh, to touch. Right, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I should say they're kept under a lock and yeah. but they're like you get to do um, you know, really wild, cool things like that. Um that when you're in the, when you're working the arts world, you get to pretend you're a squirrel for audience. And I'm sure there's moments where this cast of the squirrels at the Fox went, I'm really doing this. I'm, I'm eating a giant nut on stage. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a part of you that just loves it too. And it, yeah. as absurd as it is, like, this is what you want to be doing. <laughs> yeah. So, yep. I, I think that we get to have so much, I, and, and yeah, I do think that there, there's a lot of this job that is just work, mm -hmm. it's just the running of a space, the making a safe space for yeah. people to come into um, a safe space. Wait, to making a space safe. That's what I'm There you say. go. A safe space. <laughs> <laughs> um, so <clears throat> yeah, I think that there's a lot of that. And so when you do get the moment where you just get to play, mm -hmm and have fun and, and, and it really should be played because an audience can tell when you didn't like what you were making. Right. Um, yeah, those are, those are the great times, but yeah, I've had many of those. I love moments. it. I love it. <laughs> I've also had the moments where you're like, that's why it's so fascinating that it's live because I've had the moment where, um, oh my God, I have one where I was doing a show and, uh, this is back in, uh, back in DC. Oh, they're mostly back in DC. Cause that's where I was still acting. But uh, I guess somebody in the audience choked on their whatever they were eating, and uh, the uh, the husband was like hitting her back, and he finally was like, "Can I get some help?" In the middle of I was doing the odd couple, <laughs> and and so the you know the house manager comes rushing out, and um, the uh, it was just the the two leads on stage, and he was like, "Can we we need help here? We need they, they stopped the show. We need help here. We need help here." And so it's. I guess she dislodged it. She just goes, it was so funny. I choked on my nut. <laughs> but, for, but for us, we had all thought, because we heard silence on, from the dressing rooms. We just heard silence on the stage. And so I looked at my, my scene, you know, I looked at this actress. I was that we were the Pigeon Sisters. And we're like, oh, did did we mess up? Is it, are we already on stage? And so we are running to the stage thinking it's time for us to be on stage again. And we get there and no, they just were at hold, but the whole cast had thought the same thing. Everybody had rushed, like we missed an entrance. Oh my goodness. Um, that's funny. Yeah. It, I choked on a nut. <laughs> <laughs> oh, definite. And that's what I love so much about live theater too, is like the audience is always that extra character. Like we always say, like they're the final piece to a show. And so you never know what they're going to give and what's going to happen yeah. with them. And for sure. Yeah. Um, since we're, we're running low on time, I want to make sure, uh, Tyler always loves to ask, and, and it's always interesting to hear, um, 
what is a piece of advice that you would share with really anyone? Um, but you know, especially those of us who are working in theater or people who are trying to get into the business, um, or just, you know, uh, something that you've learned over your years that is really important. I'll, I'll go with what I've learned because I'm always scared to give people. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> um, I, 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 I think I've learned that, and I am a talker. Mm-hmm. I think I've learned that nobody listens as well as they should. Mm. And, and that I'm including myself in that. Um, and so I, there's a, a lot of times where I'm trying to say, shut up, Helen, just listen. Um, so there's that. And I've also just learned that I, I think when we start off in the arts, there's this part of us that is like, what am I going to make? What am I going to make? And the longer I work, I am so much less concerned with what I will make, but and so much more emboldened by what we will make. Mm. Um, I, 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 ha- I didn't used to direct as many musicals and I have more and more love of directing musicals because I get to hand off large parts of that process to a music director and to a choreographer right and getting to share the the load like that getting and and getting to see what they bring to it that I wouldn't have thought of I I love that I'm the same way with designers I I talk a lot when I'm working on a show about what I feel about Mm -hmm. the show and the way they translate what I feel and the way they challenge what I thought it should be is always very exciting to me and so, so I think I, the, the, I've just become more and more assured because I've been working so long in it now that I don't have to hold on to my big idea all the time. It doesn't cost me anything to share. Absolutely. Uh, so, so that, and, and I think the other big thing about that sharing is that, that we are none of us ever done learning how to be in a room together. Um, and that goes from everything from a code of conduct, keeping us all as safe as possible to how we speak to each other, to words we use with each other. And whether it's about trying to, you know, ground out any racism that might be existing or sexism or, or biases in the room, or if it's about um, the generosity and grace that we can give each other when we're in the room together. So all of those things are sort of the big things that I've learned is, is just to, is just to share. Mm. I'm like, can you guys share, can we share and listen better? Yeah. Um, and it's fairly um, elementary, but I think we forget about a lot of those things because we're so busy trying to make art um, and yeah, yeah. And I, I, I love so much and I am a writer as well. And I never feel the need that somebody has to do my play anymore. I'll write it no matter what. And maybe that's, uh, you know, crappy me to say, because writers are like, yes, this is my business though. I need the money. I need right. <laughs> but I, I take just as much satisfaction and joy of producing a writer, especially one that I'm like, I'm so excited about this writer. I want everybody to know about this writer. I take so much satisfaction over getting to share their voice. Um, and, and I take such a joy when people, I am so excited people love Queen's Girl in the World. I think Kayleen is such a wonderful writer. She is not known out here. I hope other people now are like, who's that writer? We need to know more about her, you know? Um, so that like moments like that make me so happy. That's awesome. That's really great. I love that. And I think that that's something that can resonate no matter what job you do. You know, we all, we all need to listen better and just even in our personal relationships and stuff like that and share and all of that. So I love that. Thank you. Um, is there anything specific going on either at the Fox that you'd like to promote um, that we can, you know, share with people for you? Sure. Um, we are about to start tonight. I start rehearsals for Wonderland, Alice's Rock and Roll Adventure. <laughs> so that should be really fun. All the actors play their instruments and uh, it's a musical. That's cool. 
So yeah, I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and I'm working on that one with David Nels as music director and Terrell Davis as choreographer. So it's a really fun team, and we're just going to have a really awesome time, I think. And this one, it can bring you can bring the whole family. It is family friendly. I know people wonder sometimes at the Fox. They're like, is it going to be? <laughs> I promise bring the kids. It's it's very family friendly. Um, I chose it for that exact purpose, but also because I, I think we live in a crazy world and a lot of kids don't know how necessarily how to find themselves in it. Yes. And Alice certainly tells that exact story. I love that. When does it uh, open? It opens June 11th okay. and runs to July 3rd. And, uh, and then our little Foxes program still has openings. So if anybody has kiddos they want to put in, we still have some openings for the summer. And then stay tuned because we're about to announce season 30. Yay! That's I'm exciting. super excited about yes, it. Yes, that's so awesome. Um, okay, well, this has been awesome. And I'm so glad that you were willing to talk with me today, Helen. Um, I cannot wait to get an email from you being like, hey, we can work with you again. Do you want to do all of the shows? And I'm going to say, yes. <laughs> I can't wait to send that email. I will. And when we do, it will be a blanket. Can you take these three? Yes. Maybe four. Yeah. Oh. So I hope I get you first. Yeah, when the, right. When the, when the doors open up again, I hope I get yes. you first before anybody else oh. uh, like claim. Well, the good thing is, is that I was on the road to establishing uh, a presence here as a stage manager and then the pandemic hit. So I really feel like there's only one or two theaters that know me. So I feel like you're in a pretty good. <laughs> I'm in a good, you're in a good spot. spot. Excellent. <laughs> um, Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and listeners, thank you for sticking around and um you know, hearing our stories week after week. Um, please continue to follow us on all social media. Uh, we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at PWRP Podcast. Um, please continue to uh, share us with friends. Um, if you have not yet rated uh, or reviewed us on any of the podcast platforms, uh, if you do that, um, we would love to send you a thank you sticker. Um, if you would like to be on the show and, uh, you know, have for whatever reason, if you know, you're in the arts of any kind, we'd love to talk to you. So you can always email us at PWRP podcast. Nope, that's not true. It is PWRP pod at gmail.com. Um, and yeah. And if you have some, some pandemic money floating around that you haven't used yet and you want to support us on our Patreon, that would be awesome too. Um, but most of all, we just really love that you love these stories every week and we're ha so happy to share them. And Helen, we always end our podcast with a very awkward goodbye because we still haven't figured out how to do it uh, professionally. <laughs> oh. So if you'd like to join me, bye. bye. <laughs>